0: you're listening to the archaeology podcast network you're listening to the archaeology show tas goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us welcome to the podcast
1: hello and welcome to the archaeology show episode 217
0: on today's show we talk about prehistoric puerto ricans a bone punch board and an underwater cemetery
1: Let's dig a little deeper and hopefully find some more bodies, clothes, and gravestones. (laughs) That's the cycle of life. (laughs) Welcome to the Archaeology Show. Hello. Got a news episode for you. Yes. From not stupid hot Palm Springs anymore. (laughs) I know,
0: right? It's actually really nice. I was sitting outside working today taking advantage of the not-too-hot sunshine. Yeah. This is what we were hoping for when we decided to come here.
1: <laughs> this is what it normally is. Yeah. Until, like, August Yeah, yeah. July. Until later then in the it's summer. Every, then it's 106 every day. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah,
1: the park we're at actually closes in a couple of weeks because, like, nobody wants to be here. Yeah,
0: why would you come here yeah. in the summer? <laughs> I mean, if you live here, that's one thing. But, like, visiting here in an RV doesn't seem like the best choice yeah. when it's super hot out. <laughs> not so much. Not
1: no, so much. No, no. But visiting the island of Puerto Rico seemed like a good idea for the last like almost three thousand years.
0: Yeah, I would yeah. love to visit the island of Puerto Rico for sure. I know, never it's been. Amazing.
1: Yeah, in fact, the article that we're going to talk about here—well, we'll get into it. But the first, the first line is just like riddled with controversy for me, and I'm surprised they didn't get into it. But anyway, let's talk about that. Oh, in a great. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, well, this article is called. Oldest human remains from Puerto Rico contradict idea of simple island nomads. Yes. And that was published in Science and they also did us the lovely favor of linking to the PLoS One article which is where the actual like scientific study was published. Right. Yeah. So there's some good links there for you to go check it out. I'd say look at the pictures, but there's not like a huge amount to look at because, you know, putting pictures of human remains into articles is not really like the thing to do for a lot of reasons. So yeah. they don't they don't have any of those, fortunately.
1: Putting them in the back of your car is also not the thing to do. But again, <laughs> we'll get to that.
0: Yeah, we will get to Let's that. Let's do a little history. I was like, what are you <laughs> what are you objecting to in this article? <laughs> but now I remember. <laughs> Why
1: don't you give us a little history of Puerto Rico first? Yeah,
0: I so I I didn't know anything about Puerto Rico. I don't know about you. I just had not ever like considered the prehistory of Puerto Rico at no, all. Not so really. so we wanted to do like a quick like recap of it. So the oldest evidence that we have is from about 4,000 years ago and it is the Ortoirid culture which is from the Orinoco region in South America which is like roughly the Venezuela northern Colombia area. They arrived to the island approximately 4,000 years ago. They kind of jumped down island chains basically until they finally got there. Mm -hmm. And then they were there for a while, occupied the island, and many thousands of years later, around 430 to 250 BCE, the Saladoid culture arrived also from the same region in South America. Okay. So they kind of followed the paths of their ancestors, hopping these island chains and eventually reaching Puerto Rico.
1: Did you read if there was evidence that like, there was a gap in people there, or is it just like continuous influx.
0: I think it was pretty... Well, I I think it was a gap. Like, the first guys got there, and then that culture flourished there for a while, not necessarily with an influx of new people. And then a distinctly different culture arrived that is related to these Saladoid peoples. So those guys were there for a while, and... They were there when between the 7th and 11th centuries, CE, the Taino culture, developed. And they went on to dominate the island. They were there when Columbus and the Spanish arrived in 1493. And they were a group of like thirty to 60,000 people, basically.
1: Like 30 people to 60,000 people? That's a pretty 30, big number.
0: 30,000 to <laughs> 60,000 people.
1: <laughs> there were between zero and a lot of people there. <laughs> that's, that's the official estimate.
0: You're so helpful. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so they were in conflict with raiding Carib people from the Antillas Islands. So... At the time that the Spanish arrived, and so that combined with the European diseases that were brought by the Spanish basically caused that population to decline. I don't think they really put up much of a a fight when the Spanish sort of took over the island, and it really became like an outpost for Spanish conquering that occurred into the rest of the islands and probably into Mexico as well. It was sort of like that first stop for ships that were coming coming in from Spain. But
1: well, we can see the DNA from these people in modern descendants
0: yeah. in Puerto Rico, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So so they definitely like had an impact on, you know, the descendants on the island today. And they also I love this, they gave us the word for hammock. Nice. <laughs> so that that came from the Taino people.
1: So hammock is literally a word for like like, like, a net like between the trees, yeah.
0: like like cord or string or ropes mm. hung between trees, basically. I
1: wonder what came first because hammocks kind of look like fishing nets,
0: right. They just gave us the name. They did yeah. not give us the thing. Yeah. <laughs> the thing developed independently in many different, like oh, coastal cultures around okay. the world. But the word hammock came from mm-hmm. this these people. And it's because there's a Spanish word for it, like hamoka or something like that. And that became the English word. I want a
1: hamoka right now.
0: (laughs) I might be wrong about that. So Spanish speakers don't crucify me, but there is like a Spanish word that became the English word. And that's where we get it from. All right. So all of these different groups that occupied the islands over these many, you know, these 4,000 years or so, they had been thought of as like roaming nomadic fisher type of cultures. And it was kind of presumed that they were not like super complex societies. They were mm-hmm. just like nomadic hunter, following gatherer, following the food. Yeah, that type of thing.
1: Yeah. So that evidence of their nomadic lifestyles is really what they they got from the limited archaeological record on the island. It's just that we don't know a whole lot about them and yeah. this is what the conclusion was made.
0: Yeah. The we'll talk about it in a minute, but the the preservation there is not great for yeah. archaeology. So there's just not a lot of good sites that have a lot of data yeah. associated with them.
1: And that's why this article is important. And the actual journal article that it's based on, which was published in Plus One. It's open source and mm-hmm. is linked in our show notes. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. But, you know, this I was getting to the, I mean, to me, something that I'm surprised they even wrote about. But it's, <laughs> the first line in the article is directly... Over two days in 2019, yeah. William Pessel drove a truck containing 35 carefully packed boxes from Virginia to Florida. <laughs> At night, the University of Miami bioarchaeologist brought the boxes inside his hotel room for safekeeping. This was no ordinary cargo. Inside were the oldest human remains yet found in Puerto Rico.
0: Okay. Okay. Let's give some context to this. <laughs> so, so the original excavations were carried out for a construction company in the 90s that company went out of business and the guy who was in charge of the site ended up with these artifacts these remains that he just kind of didn't know what to do with yeah and it was in the 90s so i don't think that there was the laws were as good or as strict around what to do with it maybe puerto rico wasn't stepping in with what to do i'm not really sure yeah. what fell through right there but basically this guy daniel koski karelia ended up with these boxes of remains. And he, I mean, to his credit, (laughs) he just packaged them up well and preserved them well in boxes that were in his house. Yeah. Well, three decades later, he teamed up with William Pessel, who's the guy from the beginning of the article, who's a bioarchaeologist. And he is the one who wanted to re-examine these remains and see what we can learn from them. So... In this article, and we can talk about our opinions about that, but it seems like they like really tiptoed around who did what and what they should have done or not have done. And it sounds like everybody agrees this original guy should never have left Puerto Rico with right. human remains that belong to the Puerto Rican government, essentially. Yeah. And but at the same time, he did such a great job of making sure that they were protected and preserved and now can be studied today. It's like people don't want to fault him for it too much. So the, in the article anyway, they just kind of tiptoed around it. I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you think he should be given more?
1: Well, uh, there was. it sounded like there he didn't have any other options. Right? Yeah, that's it the way be, they framed
0: it in the article. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you
1: probably should have talked to the government beforehand, but it sounded like there were no other options really. Yeah, and I mean, I guess to everybody's credit, they're not losing their minds over this, and they're saying, you know, get your analysis done, yeah. do your thing, because mm-hmm. this is where you're at um, in at the University of uh, Miami in Florida. Well, and,
0: actually, he's going on from there to Puerto Rico, or has gone on well, from there. And
1: that's what I said. Yeah. They, they said in the article that when, when you're done with this, basically bring them back.
0: Yeah, and you they know, will stay in Puerto Rico. And they will stay in Puerto Rico, yeah. yeah. And and there's one Puerto Rican ar- archaeologist in the article is quoted as saying, you know, they never should have left in the first place. Yeah. So that's as yeah. close as they're getting to like condemning the actions of the, the person in the right. 90s. Well,
1: that's as close as the...
0: Article, article author
1: of this. Yes, <laughs> the, ar- the author <laughs> of the article is
0: getting at that, but yeah,
1: she may not have you know <laughs> gone deeply into that. Who knows? Yeah,
0: but. yeah, I think it is tricky because you yeah. have to be happy that there's something to study, but also yeah. like maybe that should have been done right, right. in the first place. I, right. I feel very torn about it. Anyway, so well, that's the drama behind the remains and how yeah. they got to where they were and why they're being studied today.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about the site. It's a site known as Cabo Rojo, and it was in southwestern Puerto Rico.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Again, 1993. There were the remains of five individuals found, along with tools, food remains, and other artifacts, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and this is... Kind of amazing in this area, and and part of the reason why the archaeological record is is so poor, at least from a human remains standpoint, Mm -hmm. is because it's such a hot, humid climate that bones, and more than likely wood and other stuff too... Anything organic, really. Yeah, just deteriorates really quickly. So there's just not a lot of burials that they've seen in excavations on this island. So, in fact, less than 20 burials even exist from this entire time period. Yeah, totally. Because the bones are, well... bones. (laughs) (laughs)
0: And there were other remains with the bones, too. So I'm not sure exactly what they used here.
1: Yeah. But they did some radiocarbon dating. So carbon-14 dating. Mm -hmm. And that revealed that the five individuals in particular lived between approximately 1900 BCE and 800 BCE, which is...
0: That's a huge spread, right? It's a huge spread for carbon dating. Yeah. Yeah. So I do... And I think this is, again, going back to the whole, like... 30 years ago, guy disappeared with remains in the night or something kind of shady like that. But I don't know how much context they have about the the excavation itself, how close these burials were together, the association between them, you know?
1: And here's the thing. Carbon dating wasn't brand new in 1993, but it was still pretty new for Mm archaeology, right? So collection methods, especially early construction collection methods in Puerto Rico.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm pretty sure Section 106 still holds in Puerto Rico. It's a,
0: I think so. it's a territory, territory. Yeah. of the United
1: States. Yeah, so yeah. Section 106 is the law that defines the mandatory, basically cultural exploration yeah. of sites that are going to be you have a federal action against them. So yeah. this construction company, it doesn't really say what they were constructing.
0: It does not. So mm.
1: they may not have been required to do a study like that. Yeah. But to their credit, there was an archaeological excavation done. So I guess there's that. Yeah. But... So that's probably why the, the radiocarbon carbon dating is like not super great. Yeah. Because was it contaminated? Was yeah. it, you know, how do we even trust it, those dates? It but does
0: make you wonder how much trust you can put in those yeah. dates.
1: Yeah. Another cool thing is, again, the science of this whole thing is pretty neat. You can look at the nitrogen and carbon isotopes in bones to learn about the diet. Yeah. And what they found by studying that is that they ate a mix of seafood, land-based animals, and potentially maize, which is, you know... I mean, you would think that would be fairly obvious on Puerto Rico, but we have <laughs> we have evidence for it. Yeah. It also makes me think that like the ice cream I had last night is in my bones as like some sort of isotope that somebody's gonna be like this fatty. <laughs> this guy,
0: he this was, guy, he was eating some ice cream. This guy,
1: <laughs> ice cream and coffee—that's literally what your bones is made of.
0: Oh, I don't yeah, think so. I but know. the the maze in particular is interesting, and it's one of those things that's helping deconstruct the preconceived notions. Yeah. Because maize is, it's like corn, right? And it's the kind of thing that you domesticate and to get something that is edible probably. So it it shows that they might've been experimenting with domestication Mm -hmm. either way. They clearly had a very diverse diet, which indicates that they might've been a more complex society. And the other thing that sort of contributes to that too, is that these remains span 500 to a thousand years. And so one reason why that time span might be so large is that maybe they were coming back to this place. Like different groups, different nomadic groups came back to the same place to to bury their dead. So I mean, if you have a touch zone, like a place that you always go back to, it kind of indicates a slightly more complex society.
1: Yeah, I'm not buying that. No? I'm, won't, I'm not buying it because <laughs> uh, unless, we, unless they dig up the whole island uh, or that whole area, if that were actually true, then they would have thousands of bodies there. Like, why would there only be five? Like, they, yeah, you would you bury somebody in, you know, and then 200 years later, you're like, hey, did we bury Fred <laughs> back there? That's not going to happen.
0: Yeah, because like the flip side of the argument is that this just happens to be a really nice place to bury humans for whatever reason. And other humans later down the road looked at it and saw the same well, features for and, what they were. You know, and here's
1: the thing. Puerto Rico is not a very big island. So if people live there continuously, wouldn't. Kind of just like anywhere be a good place to bury somebody? (laughs) You'd think the whole island would be littered with bodies if people lived there that long.
0: I don't know. Again, it goes back to questions with the original excavation. Like, was there more area to be excavated that would fill in those time gaps with more burials, but they got a building put over them or a road or something, and now we don't have access to them? I don't don't have any more history about what that construction looked like, you know?
1: Yeah. I suppose the only thing we can say with confidence is that they weren't running around that island naked. Much like the people of Spain 39,000 years ago. (laughs) Back in a minute. Hey, Archaeology Podcast fans. Anyone that's heard me on a show has likely heard me mention coffee one or probably a thousand times. Coffee, however awesome it is, has some downsides and should be consumed in moderation. That's why we partnered with Laird Superfoods. They've got lots of stuff, but their coffee and coffee creamers have been engineered to taste better, provide functional benefits, and don't contain any refined sugars. So are you ready to feel more energized, focused, and supported? Go to LairdSuperfood.com and add nourishing plant-based foods to fuel you from sunrise to sunset. Use our promo code ArcpodNetFeed at checkout and save 15% on your purchase today. You can also click the link in your show notes. Welcome back to episode 217 of the Archaeology Show, and we are talking about Ancient tailors. This article is from the Smithsonian. And we have a link in the show notes. We also have a link to the open access article from Science Advances, which is super cool. Yeah,
0: another good yeah. one where they actually linked to the source article. So that was great. Yeah, for sure. And there's Here, good pictures, too. Definitely look at the pictures yeah. in the Smithsonian article, but also in the open access one, there's even mm-hmm. more photos. So you can really see what they're talking about.
1: Yeah, the Smithsonian article really only has the one, which is actually
0: the most kinda important like, one. <laughs> yeah, kinda,
1: spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's right at the top. Yeah. But anyway, this article is titled, This 39,600 That's oddly specific. Your old bone may have been used by prehistoric tailors.
0: Yeah. And you might wonder, how could they know? Yeah. (laughs) So the bone fragment is from a site that is nearly 40,000 years old, of course, and it has puncture holes in it. And they think that those puncture holes might have been used, basically this piece of bone might have been used to stabilize leather when somebody was punching holes into it yeah. in order to potentially then sew a garment together. Now, you might have heard in all of that that there's a lot of assumptions being made here. Yeah, because we'll, I don't buy it and I'll yeah. tell you why. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk <laughs> about that in a minute. Let's first talk about the artifact itself. Okay. So it was discovered at a site in Catalonia, Spain... Which is about 12 and a half miles south of Barcelona.
1: It's a (laughs) Barcelona.
0: How did I not know you were going to say that? (laughs) (laughs) Barcelona. <laughs> Pretentious. Anyway, so the theory is, like I said, they could hold the leather over the bone and basically stabilize it. And then they're taking a chisel, which would have probably been some kind of lithic or antler or whatever. They tried a bunch of different things, and we'll mm-hmm. get to why they decided it was probably flint. But you can use that to like punch the holes through the the leather or the hide or whatever it is. So
1: I got to describe the artifact here real quick. Yeah. It's about 10 centimeters long, give or take, which is about six inches or so. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually do that math, but it's got to be around there somewhere. Yeah. And it's a flat piece of bone. So this would have been from, you know, some sort of mammal. I'm not really sure what it is. Did they say? Yeah,
0: they did. They said it is something either bovid.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's right. Which would be. Cowish.
0: Yeah, but they didn't have yeah. cow then. So it was oh, yeah, antelope, sheep, buffalo, or maybe even horse. Well, I was those. thinking
1: more like where the bone is. Oh, it's a it hip looks bone. Like a, okay, they, hip? they
0: they think it's hip bone. Okay, I was hip thinking bone. hip or scapula. Yeah, yeah, hip from way, one of
1: those. Either way, it's flat. And there's a line of indentations on it, a clear line of indentations. And if you really did put a piece of fabric on that, and you punched a hole in every single one of those places where there's, in the fabric, where every one of the places where there's uh, indentation on this bone... Notice I said indentation, not a hole all the way through the bone. No, it's just an no, indentation.
0: Just the indentation. I'm
1: thinking like these hides are actually really thick. Yeah, They're not super thin. They're really thick. And you're laying the hide on here. What are you doing? Like, move it around until you until you feel the indentation? Like, well, why wouldn't it be further or deeper in?
0: Okay, hold on. That's what I thought, too. But I don't think that that's how they mean. I don't think that the the piece of bone is a template for where to put the holes. They think that they just put the bone underneath whatever they're trying to punch through. And then looking at the leather, they're like, okay, I want a line of holes here. So they went, bam, 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 right. bam. And that created the indentation. Well, that's what
1: I'm talking about. So this was used once?
0: Yeah. Once or a couple times, so
1: it looks like once going
0: on. Continuing with your description, there's 28 puncture marks, and they're in two distinct groups. The first one is the ones that you're talking about, which is 10 like remarkably similar, as they call it, to punctures in a row, yeah. indicating that they probably were made by the same tool. And then the second group is a group of 15 that are not aligned. Basically, mm-hmm. they're not perfectly together, but they are similar. And then there's a there's three extras that are smaller, isolated, and not really part of either of those two groups. So, it's not as if these marks on the bone were something that they were trying to line up the leather with. They couldn't no. see through. They couldn't... None of that. I was not It wasn't like a template. It made it so that the tool that they were punching the leather with wouldn't hit their leg or their or the table or whatever it is that they were doing it on. It was just a stabilizer on the backside. I get
1: all that. I'm just floored by the the apparent disposable nature of this. I would have yeah. thought they would have used the same piece if it worked well over and over and over again. But it's clear they only used it maybe two or three times. Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: Or they used it once and just kept slipping out of their knee and they had to reorient it or something like that. But I guess if it was something that was relatively disposable... That would make sense because they're eating meat a lot. They're eating and they meat have a, a lot. High access to this number of bones. They
0: do, and there's no need to carry something like that around with them. Because my other thought was, how often are they even making a garment or clothing? Yeah. Right? Like I'm guessing that was a a couple times a year sort of situation, rather yeah. than a you know depending on. A person. I mean, they called him a tailor in the the article to like capture minds and imaginations. Yeah, but
1: it would have been just like anybody. It would
0: have just been like dude or woman who needed to needed a cape. I you would, know, well,
1: I, would, I don't know about a cape. <laughs> probably a pair of shoes. Those probably maybe wore out. Yeah, maybe something to cover yeah. your feet. Yeah, yeah. That's what I would guess this would be used for. I yeah, mean, obviously for sure. clothing as well. We don't. We'll talk about clothing in a minute. Mm-hmm. But I guess. I would assume that everybody knew how to repair their own things. Yeah. And and even create their own things. Yeah. Because it would just be knowledge you had to have to live back then. Yeah. It mm-hmm. wouldn't make a lot of sense forty thousand years ago for you to divide that labor because they, they yeah. weren't necessarily living in stratified structured no. communities. Like big enough groups yeah. for somebody
0: to specialize in being a clothing right. maker. Like not yet. That's no. this was too early for that. No. Maybe
1: Joe or Jane Caveman was a little better at it than somebody yeah. else. You know, so they're like, hey, you do this because you're you're awesome at it. Yeah. And that's probably how specialization was formed. Mm -hmm. But I just I'm really just surprised by the what seems like a a consumable item. And maybe it's something that was found and used expediently just because they were like, hey, I need to fix my shoe. Mm -hmm. And there's some animal remains. I'm going to go ahead and do this real quick. Yeah, for sure. It was found with other stuff. But I, I wonder if that's temporary nature of that site. Yeah.
0: And I don't think we've said what the name of something like this is, but it's called a punch board, basically. And I, I think that people that work with leather and really tough materials like yeah. that still use a similar type of thing, a, a backing, essentially, to catch the sharp implement as you're punching holes into leather or whatever.
1: Which sends my mind into whole other realms of discovery, too, because it makes me think stuff like... like they're just like, oh, yeah, it's a punch board. Sure, <laughs> no big deal, right? Right. Yeah. It makes me think like... How many times, even in the same area, how many times was stuff like this invented over and over and over again? Because there's only one really great way to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like somebody was trying to punch holes in leather and they stabbed themselves in the leg a few times before they Mm -hmm. stuffed something under there and said, holy crap, that works better.
0: Yeah, for sure. You
1: know, and then that knowledge was possibly lost Mm -hmm. you know and somebody else had to figure it out and it's just like thousands of times across the planet this was probably figured out yeah the native americans had lots of hide based products Mm -hmm. they had to have done something like this as well
0: they must have and i think we do have examples of this from more modern groups and the thing that interests me the most is from a like function perspective and they did do this they they did try this through like some experimental archaeology which we'll get to in a minute but I think like having it be a piece of bone be what is catching the tool as it comes through the leather Mm -hmm. is, is perfect because a rock is too hard, you know, like it'd probably hurt your hand or break or whatever.
1: Bone would have some give. Yeah.
0: Bone has give. Wood might be nice too, but Mm -hmm. maybe wood is too soft depending on what is around. So anyway, I just, I love the idea of like trying a bunch of different materials and settling on, you know, it an antelope hip bone being the right. best choice. It's, it's really cool. So just really quick, I, I love talking about clothing in general, as you know, and it fits into that missing majority category of artifact, which is part of the reason why this article really jumped out at me. We just don't have it. It degrades, it goes away, it's gone. And most artifacts like this are. We just don't have them from this long ago.
1: I know how much you like talking about clothing. The uh, <laughs> Target fashion show a few nights ago was... <laughs> Simplifying that fact.
0: Uh, Yeah. Well, I'm not talking about clothing for me, but I do like (laughs) to make clothing. You know, I'm a knitter and a sewer and all that. (laughs) Sewer. Well, I have a sewing machine. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> anyway, so so these these things, we know that they had them. They had to have clothing in particular because it was so cold. They had to have. Yeah. But we don't have direct evidence going back thirty nine thousand years. It just is gone. So yeah, that stuff doesn't last underground. No, it doesn't. And just for context, again, the oldest known fragments of fabric are like ten thousand years old, which is still so pretty impressive. That yeah, and yeah. more
1: than likely. I don't know anything about it, but more than likely found in a cave environment Probably. or something like that. Cave or somewhere yeah. arid
0: where it could right. preserve properly. Dry um, and cold. Yes, exactly. But here certainly not. And being this old at 39,000 years definitely not. We don't have any kind of fabric. So we're just sort of left to draw assumptions from the surrounding implements when we find them.
1: Right. Yeah, they kind of again go to the same realms that uh, pretty much every researcher goes to when they <laughs> see something that, I don't know, is either uniform or different or they can't explain it, something like that. But mm-hmm. this one group of, of impressions that or whole or marks, I guess, that is very, very obvious on the bone. Yeah. What I cool. like is they, they look square. So they were punched with a, an implement that had some sort of a, a defined end shape on it. Right. Mm-hmm. And also they're of almost uniform distance apart. Yeah. Yeah. What's that for?
0: Yeah. Well, all that means that it must have been something and so
1: or somebody was just really good at making things you know i mean it didn't have to be like they're they're speculating on what is he used for you know recording something a certain number of times or doing something like that but why would they have to put them so evenly spaced right you know yeah
0: that's why they they sort of disregarded the the thought that it could be like art maybe or some sort of recording method for something mm-hmm. counting something maybe, but they've, they sort of rejected all that because the rest of the bone is not manipulated at all. Yeah. And they then this wasn't like special. It, yeah, exactly. So they wanted to test the theory that maybe it was for punching holes in leather. And they did that by basically reproducing this with a similar bone and a piece mm-hmm. of leather. And they tried a variety of things, including antler bone, horn, horn, Stone tools. They tried all of that to see what would make the holes that they were seeing in the the actual artifacts. Yeah. And the flint tool that they tried was the one was it made remarkably similar holes. Yeah. Punches, punctures, I guess in the in the experimental setting. So yeah. yeah.
1: All right. Well, I like where they're going with this. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's still, really
0: still a little bit skeptical because it does kind of seem like. Yeah. They're drawing conclusions where they're like, oh, look, I can make that too. And like made they did it. But that doesn't mean it's the only way it could have happened or the only reason it could have happened. So
1: I would definitely say this is one thing that could have produced those types of marks. And that's one thing it could have been used for. But there could have been completely different things that we don't even conceive of our yeah. brains can't even handle yeah. you know of how they would have used this
0: yeah there could have been other reasons and you certainly yeah. shouldn't stop on just one but i think without any more artifacts that look like this it's going to be very hard to draw any more conclusions all we can do is have our best guess which is as best guesses go i think that this is a, a good one
1: right indeed okay well we're gonna go from there to a uh, cemetery that's underwater with a hospital in Florida, because pretty much all of Florida is going to be underwater at some point And this has just started early. Back in a minute. Welcome back to The Archaeology Show. And now we're going to talk about, you know, the topic that I feel like in our lifetimes is going to start getting more and more prevalent. Hey, we were in Florida looking underwater. If you haven't seen the show Extrapolations on Apple TV Plus yet, it's about climate change in each episode over like eight or nine episodes takes place like a decade apart. Yeah, I think the last episode takes place in 2070, mm-hmm. but it's about dramatic climate change. And like in the first episode, it's like 2030 and Florida's already got massive controls because everything's underwater.
0: <laughs> yeah, like Southern <laughs> Florida specifically. And we, we, yeah. we know because we worked on that side in Miami and we were yeah. pumping out water 24-7 once we got not even that far down. Mm -hmm. I mean, and we would, before we got the pump going, we would show up in the morning and our entire like, the entire area that we work in will be full of water and we'd have to wait for the water to get pumped out or when
1: whoever was supposed to go fill the pump generator with gas didn't do it (laughs) then we also woke up with uh, you know 10 feet of water in our excavation site
0: which i know we've mentioned this before but can you believe that part of our job was getting up at one in the morning to go put gas in a generator like that's insane when i think about it now i would definitely not do that can you
1: believe that for some reason i never did that
0: you didn't. I thought you did it with me. I I wouldn't do it by myself. So I think you were my companion one Maybe. time. Maybe I just
1: don't remember doing it very often. Yeah, I mean yeah. it was spread
0: out. Like everybody had a different yeah. a different turn. But anyway,
1: well, <laughs> anyway, Florida is much much of Florida, especially central and southern Florida, is really really close to sea level. Mm-hmm. Like within you know three to ten feet. Yeah. Right. It's not very, very much. Yeah. And you go underground, and a lot of if not all, of Florida, again, central to southern Florida, is basically limestone. Yeah. And limestone's incredibly porous, and it is just already super saturated with water. Yeah. And because of that, if you dig down just a little bit, you hit water. I remember shovel testing in Florida near Lake Okeechobee and then in some other areas of Florida where I've worked, I mean, you dig down a meter, which mm-hmm. is, you know, a little over three feet with your shovel and you're already hitting water, Yeah, you know, in your sandy unit there. Yeah, so for sure. Y- you really couldn't do a whole lot because of the water.
0: Yeah. And, and this site in particular that we're about to talk about is actually at Dry Tortugas National Park, which is an island off the coast of Florida. So all of the problems that Florida has as far as, not problems, but like the geography of Florida and being at sea level, you know, it's... Even worse basically had dry yeah. tortugas.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a whole series of islands that this stuff was built on to begin with. So yeah. but first the article is called A Grave Under the Ocean. Team Finds What Could Be Submerged Hospital off Florida Keys. And it's from the Idaho Statesman, which is actually a pretty decent resource.
0: I know. I, seriously, I think we've pulled several articles from them and they, they cover just a lot. they are really good at covering interesting archaeology news stories it's yeah. really cool that they've dedicated a little corner of their publication <laughs> to that
1: well they're not stupid what makes them money even though cuz nobody's buying papers is clicks
0: yeah true and the more
1: articles you can write the more clicks you yeah,
0: get yeah they definitely along with the big ones like Smithsonian mm-hmm. and National Geographic like these guys are kind of up there as far as breaking this kind of news yeah or sharing for sure. this kind of news maybe not breaking it but So archaeologists found a submerged gravestone off the coast of the Dry Tortugas National Park in Florida. Actually, I guess it is technically part of Dry Tortugas because Dry Tortugas is approximately 70 miles west of Key West, and it's mostly water. There are seven small islands and then other islands that have since disappeared into the ocean, which is one of the reasons why this grave is underwater.
1: Yeah, it's a combination of sand... Climate change mm-hmm. and hurricanes and, and inclement weather and stuff like that, yeah, which is why a lot of these islands are now underwater and things just shift they just in this shift. area. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure that
0: that's like unnatural, right? For right. that to have happened, it's just it just shifted over time. I'm sure other ones have popped up too. It's kind of the same idea, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, we went and put a whole bunch of big, heavy buildings on some of these things, which probably helped destabilize them a little bit.
0: It, true, true, know? true. And yeah. the fort
1: that's there now is a massive fort. Yeah, it's that's huge on there. Ship. Yeah, and you can only huge. get to it by boat or seaplane, which is really cool. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Really I've always
0: wanted to go there and you know we're like we're such national park junkies but
1: well that'd be a stamp to get
0: <laughs> it would be but you can't get there unless you get the little like ferry boat thing that goes out there and it is booked for like months in advance remember yeah. we tried to go when we were in the Keys we were gonna just like down for the day, and we couldn't even get a seat on the boat. No, so. and we looked
1: at seaplane, and it was like three to four hundred bucks a piece. Yeah, you spend the day out there too because they, yeah. they drop you off in the morning and pick you up in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah.
0: So it's definitely a unique place to visit, and we'll get there one day. That's so much yeah. with the RV. <laughs> but. Yeah, I know. And the
1: the there part of it is Fort Jefferson, which is on yeah. Garden Key, and that is the largest of this little island chain there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fort was built in the nineteenth century, actually.
0: Yeah. And it's one of the largest 19th century forts. Like you said, the The place is massive. Mm-hmm. So what happened is that there was a park ranger who was flying over shallow water in a plane, obviously, in the area. And he basically like saw something that looked like right angles and it caught his eye because it wasn't it wasn't right it wasn't the right shape to be natural to that area and he was like what is this and so they went searching and found that it was a headstone nice and so far they found just the one and it belongs to a man named john greer who died november 5th 1861
1: yeah they actually have records and they show the records in the article here with John Greer's line highlighted with that typical like 1800s writing that's impossible the to read. The script, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: It's so, I, I don't even know how they wrote so perfectly. I have such bad chicken scratch. Oh no. I'm like, I could never have such nice, beautiful flowing well, lines. It's because
1: they wrote deliberately.
0: Yeah, right? true. They and it was like, slow and it was purposeful. Yeah, they weren't like
1: cranking it out and yeah. they probably had to dip their pen and their quill in the thing every yeah. once in a while. They didn't have ballpoint pens. For sure. So, you know, it, it took a while to actually write that. But yeah. 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 Uh, Team of underwater archaeologists from the park found and documented the gravestone, and was made of a material called I'm going to call it gray wacky, but I
0: think it's it's gray wack (laughs) probably. But I like gray wacky.
1: Gray wack or gray wake? It's uh, the last part is W A C K E. I actually Uh never heard that term before.
0: I hadn't either. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but it's actually the same kind of stone material they used to build the first floor of Fort Jefferson.
0: It looks like some kind of weird concrete amalgamate sort of thing yeah. maybe there's crushed up seashell or something in it i'm not well, really sure not, but yeah
1: i don't know if it's concrete cuz it's carved it's like rock
0: oh yeah true yeah
1: i'm not actually sure to be honest with you yeah. it, it does say in the article though that the headstone was carved it specifically says that
0: yes it was carved into that sort of typical headstone shape. Yeah. And then it was inscribed, it again, in that lovely, like, <laughs> scrolly 19th century script with his name and date of death, which is how we know who it is and when he died. Yeah,
1: There could be a lot more nearby because the evidence, the historical evidence, says that there was a lot going on back then. Yeah. And there was many, many outbreaks over the years that this fort was in, in use and people were there of yellow fever mm-hmm. and some other stuff because there's a lot of mosquitoes down there and yeah. sometimes it would just like there would be outbreaks and in order to quarantine people, they actually put them on some of these some of these outlying islands from the fort mm-hmm. and I think there is evidence that a hospital was on one of those like documentary evidence that yeah. there was a hospital. they
0: definitely know that the, some of these outlier islands were used as quarantine hospitals, mm-hmm. so that's why... They either think there's a hospital nearby or they have other actual physical as evidence. They didn't, they didn't get more specific in the article. But they are interested in knowing, in addition to John Greer, who else might be buried there. And they are working to find out more about John Greer. All they know is that line from that, that book that said yeah. he was a laborer. That's really all they know about him. So they're just, you know, doing that history thing and trying to figure out who else could have been there.
1: Yeah. And since this was a military fort, like I said, there are some records here that we can look back and uh, and see. The fort was in operation until 1873. And then again, as a military hospital from 1890 to 1900. Mm -hmm. And it was actually used as a military prison during the Civil War.
0: Yeah, I think the primary use for it was as a military prison. So you can imagine that prisons need a lot of infrastructure to run properly, right? So you've got the prisoners, but then you have all the people supporting the infrastructure for the prisoners. So you end up with a lot of people, which is why things like yellow fever and other Mm -hmm. mosquito-borne diseases were able to outbreak the way they did and then... They're on this tiny island with the fort and they have to get those people that are infected away from everybody else or else it's going to just spread to everywhere. And I guess they were fortunate enough to have these outlying islands that they could make use of as Mm -hmm. like quarantine outpost hospitals. Although I imagine it was a really, you know, unfun situation to be (laughs) in at one of those outlier islands. But yeah.
1: Yeah. The other islands around there were used by the, essentially by the, I guess the navy yeah. uh, during the Civil War yeah. to act as not just support for the fort, but what they called a naval coaling outpost, which I think is actually making the coal that yeah. they use to to burn in in naval ships. Right, a lighthouse station at one point, and then military training, of course. Yeah, yeah.
0: All this means there's just a lot of people, a lot more people than you would expect for a really yeah. remote island, remote especially in terms of the you know 1800s. Yeah, for sure. So the area where they found the headstone has been well documented and the park is going to continue monitoring it, but it doesn't sound like they're going to do any further excavation or exploration really to find out what other resources might be there because there's just no need to disturb it. It's probably, Mm -hmm. it's probably pretty safe, you know, underwater in a protected area. So there's really no need to do any more excavation, but they it does sound like they are going to try to continue doing like the historical research aspect of yeah, it that sure they don't not. need to do excavation for. So
1: I wouldn't be surprised if there's some pretty decent maps out there somewhere oh, that yeah. show this. I mean, it was military. Yeah, so, true. Yeah. And then also, much like you, you may have seen some of these articles, but there's at least one frame of a fairly large boat that was discovered off the coast of Florida I want to say it was near Daytona. we didn't have this article up, but it mm-hmm. was somewhere around in there. and it was uncovered as a result of recent hurricanes, oh, yeah. and that's more than likely why this headstone appeared when nobody had actually seen it before mm-hmm. is because, you know, the the it's not very deep there.
0: no, and the sand yeah. is constantly shifting because of yeah. these natural factors, the natural erosion, the hurricanes move in sand around. So yeah. it is entirely possible that something could get uncovered at some point
1: mm-hmm. where they're
0: like, oh no we need to get in there and either cover it back up or take care of this because it's just yeah. not going to it's not protected it's not safe anymore for it Right.
1: alright well that's pretty much all we've got this week we'll be back next week with more news articles or something
0: or something yep. <laughs> alright bye bye
1: thanks for listening to the archaeology show feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. And was edited by... Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.
0: Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. O, oh, O, oh, O, oh, O'Reilly Auto Parts
1: come